You're listening to the preaching ministry of Redemption Bible Church in New Braunfels, Texas, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you seek to worship Christ, walk with Christ, and work for Christ, all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, please visit redemption.bible. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon at one of our upcoming worship services. Last week, Blair walked us through Second Chronicles, the dedication of the temple, the celebration, and what was the anthem they, they sang? This same song, when, when God showed up in the temple and they, they praised praises and they saw God's glory come down like a cloud on the temple, right? Solomon sang this song, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, his love endures forever. Praise God, praise God. You know, it's, it's this mountaintop moment. And then Blair went on vacation and asked me to preach. We're going to talk about, <laughs> we're in the book of Jeremiah. So if you want, start looking for your, in your Bibles for the book of Jeremiah. We're going we're gonna to talk about and see God's goodness prophesied even in desolation and destruction. Okay? Last week was the mountaintop. This week is the valley, right? So we're going to, we're going to, be in Jeremiah 33, and, and I want to pause as, as I know, and I, I, I don't, I, I, I want to, I assume, just based off of my years of teaching, based off my years of many conversations with people, this is probably a part of your Bible that you uh, have never read, if not uh, frequently avoid or try to, try to avoid. Um, this is a part, I, you can't say this is where Bible reading plans go to die because that's Leviticus. People don't usually make it all the way to Jeremiah, right? Uh, if you made it to Jeremiah, way to go, you know, way to go. So I, I understand this is, a, this is a, a book that you may not be super familiar with. And I, and I want to encourage you with this. That's okay. I tell people all the time, I tell people all the time, that's okay you're not familiar. Guess what? This is a good day to, to grow a little bit more. Just learn a little bit more. And I'm going to go into teacher mode in a minute and try to teach you a little bit about Jeremiah. And, and if you don't remember all, any of the points, that's okay. You know what? I, I'm convinced you need to hear it several, several, several times before it's going to start to stick. So if this is the first time you're hearing about the book of Jeremiah, great. You don't got to remember it all. It'll eventually come to you if God desires you to, to, to learn the book of Jeremiah. Don't worry. Um, the good news is, too, there's always other people, smarter people, um, who, who have already written stuff down, and you can reread their work. So you don't have to have it all memorized. But I want to encourage you, just because you don't know doesn't mean you can't get in there and start learning how to swim a little bit in, in these books, these prophetic books. Um, and so we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to swim a little bit in the book of Jeremiah. And before we do that, though, there, there's a huge context. It's a very big book, and there's a lot of really good stuff in it. And so I'm going to go into teacher mode, which um, the, the people that... that uh, kind of train under me. They're like, oh yeah, this is Seth. So this is Seth every Tuesday morning for about two hours. Teacher mode, Seth, okay? So we're going to talk through and we're going to summarize some of Jeremiah before we get into our passage, Jeremiah 33. So here's some context for Jeremiah. Jeremiah is one of the major written prophets, major. So we have two types of prophets in our Bible that we talk about. We talk about uh, major and minor. Those are the written prophets, major and minor. And they are major and minor, not in their... Uh, not in their skill of prophecy or in like, should you believe them? The, minor, the major prophets are good and the minor prophets, they're like, they're okay. It's by how much they wrote. So our major prophets are big books. So that would be um, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, right? And then our minor prophets are those little books. Those are the books we really avoid, right? Those books that are like really skinny and we don't know, you know, we can't pronounce any of the names in there, right? And, and we 
don't even know any of the locations, right? So those are the minor prophets. We call them the 12 sometimes, the 12 minor prophets, right? The only one we know is Jonah. Like, that's the only one, right, we ever talk about, Jonah. So, anyway, so, so, he, so Jeremiah is a major written prophet. Written prophets mean we have two types of prophets. We have a written prophet and a spoken prophet. And so the written prophets are prophets that we have written down, like, once again, our major and minor prophets. And then our spoken prophets are people that, that primarily had a ministry of speaking, Okay, so that would be like Elijah, our popular ones, or Elijah and Elisha, right, we find in First and Second Kings, who are speaking, they, they're, they're teaching, they're, they're, they're out there. You know, Jesus, even, Jesus would be, he wouldn't be a written prophet, he would be a spoken prophet, because he didn't write any words down to our knowledge, he spoke it, and then his disciples wrote them down. So those are the, he's, Jeremiah is one of these major prophets. He is the author of both Jeremiah and Lamentations, if you didn't know that. Lamentations is a lament or, or a sadness psalm, a, a, a psalm of weeping and mourning for the loss of the city of Jerusalem. So he is, uh, he is the author of both of these. And, and an author, primarily for Jeremiah, he had an assistant, Baruch, who is throughout the book um, also kind of helping him, um, taking notes and stuff like that for him. He was a prophet during the final kings, uh, the Davidic kings of Jerusalem. So uh, before they get taken into captivity. And this is a part of history that we, most of us know very, I, I, I totally understand. We call it ancient Near Eastern history. Most of us are like, yeah, where are we talking about? What are we talking about? Right? And so this is a part of history most of us don't track with. But Jeremiah is set at the big nation that is in charge, the big empire that is in charge is the Babylonian Empire. And they are, walking, they are going around like bullies, taking over the entire, what we would consider, Middle East area, heading into Iraq, um, centered around the, our modern-day Iraq. That is the capital of Babylon. Okay? So, so that is the big bad empire. This is, so, just so you know, because we tend, we, we're Western, and so we tend to think, maybe you maybe think Greek, or you maybe think Roman Empire. We are still four empires away from that empire. So this is a big, bad empire in the Babylonians. And this is when Jeremiah is. Um, he's also prophesied. He's a prophet in the city of Jerusalem. Okay, so he's a prophet to the kings of Jerusalem. He's a witness to several sieges um, that happened over this time period to the Babylonians where, where the nation of Judah fell to, to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And so he's a prophet over time. So if you imagine, or if you remember in history, um, or maybe you don't remember in history, people... This stuff is important. This is where school comes back to get all of us because we're like, oh, I hate history. Well, sorry. It's like Bible is in history, okay? So he, he, he witnessed to several sieges. So this is a reoccurring theme in his life. The Babylonians would come. They would siege the city. They would take over the city, and then they would appoint a new king, and then the Babylonians would go back, and that king was supposed to listen to them. That king would rebel, and then Babylonians would come back and recapture the city. This happened several times, and Jeremiah was here the whole time. Uh, prophesying to the city. Finally, this is, this is right before we have the final big destruction where Nebuchadnezzar is going to say, enough is enough. I'm going to level every wall and I'm going to level the temple. This place is going to be desolate. There's, there's going to be no one living here when I'm done. This is what's about to happen to Jeremiah and to the people of Jerusalem. And he's witness to all of it. Next slide. He has a mixed reception. He's a mixed reception since he was... Uh, he was seen as a, as a dissenter among the leadership. So he's a prophet to the, to the kings, but the kings of the time hated his message because his message is essentially this. Just give up fighting, you're all going to die. 
Sorry, and this is where it's like, yeah, thanks, Blair, for this one. Okay, this is his message. Is, and so, so the leadership doesn't know what to do with him. The kings of this day don't know what to do with him. And, and this creates such a tension because normally at this time, if you have a prophet you don't like, you know what you do? You just kill him, right? Why wouldn't they just kill him? Unless you were generally you were, you were convinced that that prophet was what? Was from God. Because then you need to be real careful. Because if you kill a prophet who's from God... That could be very bad. And so Jeremiah finds himself in this interesting point where he is hated. His message is hated. He is hated by leadership. But they don't know what to do with this guy because they legitimately think that he is speaking on behalf of God. And so they're going to try everything they can to shut him up. They're going to try everything they can to put him to the back of the, put, put him in the back so that no one hears him. No one knows what this guy's talking about. But the problem is, is legitimately in their brain, they're all convinced that what he's saying is actually from God. In spite of what, how the leadership feels about Jeremiah, he is quoted in Daniel and Ezra and at the end of the book of Chronicles, meaning that it just the next generation after him was reading the words that we're going to read. They thought what he had to say was so important. Remember, and I, and I kind of have to keep kind of reminding people of this. This is not, this is not like they just had an email from him and they, they saved it, right? And they had it into the future. They were, they were painstakingly painstakingly handwriting down this message and passing it from generation to generation. They thought his message was from God, even though his message was about their destruction. Generally, so he, he like I said, he's generally um, prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. But sprinkled throughout, we get some unbelievable passages of grace and hope and of the future that we cling to, that, that, that we memorize. And this is where we find ourselves. We're, we're kind of in the middle of the book. Jeremiah 29, so, so, so kind of coming up to where we're at in Jeremiah 33. Jeremiah 29, right, is our popular Hobby Lobby passage, right? Right? I literally just looked. I went to Hobby Lobby online, typed in Jeremiah 29. There it is. Magnets and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I'm just like, do you even know what this book is about? This guy's in the middle of a siege, you know? And it's like, but you know the plans you have for me, Lord. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, Jeremiah is not in Hobby Lobby writing that passage, okay? Anyways, that's a soapbox for me. So that's 29. That, that's the 70 years that the people will be in exile for 70 years. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah, and then we get to 31. 31, if, if you have not read, if you're going, I don't know anything about Jeremiah, um, 29 is fine. 31. Read 31, verse 27 through 40. Read it. It's the new covenant. It's the new covenant where Jeremiah says to, to or where God says to David, or Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I'm going to make a new agreement. You remember that agreement I made with Moses that you guys failed at when I married you guys in the, in, in the wilderness? I'm going to make a new one. That's the new covenant that we celebrate when? During the, we call it communion, right? Right? When Jesus was betrayed, he says, I'm going to make a new covenant with you guys. You know what that new covenant is in the Old Testament? It's Jeremiah 31. So in Jeremiah 31, he says, yeah, I'm, I'm going to make a new agreement. So please read that passage if, if you get time in Jeremiah 31. So that, that's in this section. And then Jeremiah 32, it's this interesting part where Jeremiah gets arrested. 
He gets thrown in prison by the king for, for these terrible prophecies that the city's going to fall. And the king says, that's it. You're going to prison. And so Jeremiah is hanging out in prison in a besieged city, which is pretty low on the low, right? And, and, and God comes to him in 32, and God gives him this prophecy, a prophecy he gives in 32. He actually gives him a sign and a prophecy. The sign is that he gives Jeremiah, Jeremiah this land, I'm going to bring restoration. You can count on it. Go buy some land because it's a great investment, right? Which is crazy. It's like, it's like go buying some land in East you know, Ukraine. This is a great investment. No, this is a war zone, right? That's the promise that God said. That's the sign. And then he gives him a promise. And then chapter 33, guess what? God repeats that promise again. He tells him again, Jeremiah, let me tell you something. And so that's where we find ourselves heading in. Heading into this promise. And one of the ideas, um, well, actually, let's, let's read it. Jeremiah 33. We're going to read the whole thing, mostly just because it's good. Um, and some of us, um, man, it's just good to read Jeremiah. It's good to read parts of your Bible that, that we're not as familiar with. So let's read it, 33, and we'll, we'll talk through it. 33 verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, in this place of which you say, it is a waste without man or beast, in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast, there shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as at first says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts in this place that is waste without man or beast in all of its cities, there shall again be habitations of shepherds resting their flocks in the cities of the hill country in the cities of the Shephelah in the cities of the Negev in the land of, the Benjamin, of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem and in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of 
of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell securely. And this is the name by which it, is, it will be called, The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priests shall never lack a man in the presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, will be broken, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. And my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered and the sand of the sea cannot be measured, so I will multiply the offspring of David, my servant, and the Levitical priests who ministered to me. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Have you not observed that these people are saying the Lord has rejected the two clans that he chose? Thus they have despised my people so that they are no longer a nation in their sight. Thus says the Lord, if I have not established my covenant with day and night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, then I will reject the offspring of Jacob and David, my servant, and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will restore their fortunes and will have mercy on them. I know it's a long passage, but boy, there's a lot there. So we're going to just we're going to walk through and, and the main idea we're going to focus on here is God's goodness can and will overcome the darkest despair. God's goodness can overcome the darkest despair. So we're just going to take that, that, that prophecy that he received and we're going to walk through verse by verse and kind of comb through um, and see how, how we see this theme. The first one, notice as he begins, the creator God speaks. So we get ver, uh, verse one talking about basically reminding us Jeremiah's in prison yet again. So he's in prison still, and God comes with another message. Okay, He comes with another message for him in prison while he's locked up by the king in the guard. And look at this. Thus says the Lord who made the earth. Look at, look at first off. So Jeremiah, once again, his, his profession, this is hard for us to, to maybe believe, his job is prophet. Okay, so in chapter one, God calls him to become a prophet. And so he is, this is his occupation. So as his occupation, of course, when God shows up and says, this is the Lord, he's saying, yeah, this is my job. I know who the Lord is, right? But notice here how God, God reveals himself here. The Lord who made the earth. This is going to be super important. We, we, and this is why we spent some time in, in Genesis chapter 1. The God who's calling to him is the creator God of the universe. And, I, and I'm going to be honest, there was, there was times in my life where I'm just like, yeah, of course we know that. But, but the more I come to realize, the more I'm coming to go, this is really, really, really important and really significant in our lives. Guys, we do not serve a God who is just powerful. We do not serve a God who is just, you know, you know, he, he's pretty good. He could do a lot of things in my life. He could do a lot of good. He, he is the God who made this entire earth. He made this entire solar system, okay? When, I, when we travel, when you travel the world, I, I, I just got back from a trip, and we were, we were in the jungle, and, and you see the jungle, and it's just exploding with life. You can't stop life on this planet. And you know who did it? Every little bit of it, you know, he did, he, God did it. And you know what? He did all the stuff that you and I don't even pay attention to. Think about it. Think about that, the bottom of the ocean, right? 
Why? Why would God go through the pain? Like, he made all these creatures that we don't even know about. But this is for his glory. That's who we're talking about here. That's who it is. It's the God who made the earth. The Lord who formed it and established it. Now, now sometimes I take that and I go, yeah, God, okay, great. That's the creator God. But do you understand? Do you comprehend that that's who's talking to Jeremiah? It's like this vastness. We need to have the same way, this vastness, greatness of God. And somehow we also need to keep in category. But he also is relating to us humans. Isn't that crazy? What a, what a crazy idea that the creator of the whole universe, when you go out and, you know, you go to Big Bend and you look up and you see the stars, right? Because you don't really see the stars here, right? When you go out and you see a place that doesn't have any, you know, any kind of thing disrupting the view and you just go, whoa. That God is the same God who once, who was talking to Jeremiah. Wow, that's who he's talking to. He formed it. He established it. And he, guess what? He has a name. Exodus 6, he reveals his name to Moses, but, but he has a name. You know when someone walks up to you and says, oh, you know, I just met so-and-so. Do you know them? What starts going through your mind when, as soon as you hear their name? Some of us probably think of how they look. I don't, I don't remember how you look. I can't remember. I just know Ken is tall. That's all I remember about Ken. Because there's not a lot of people taller than me. So Ken is taller than me, right? <laughs> Some of you guys remember people's hair color and eyes. I don't remember that. Sorry. Don't even bother asking. I just cannot remember anything. But we remember stories we have about them. You may remember how they look. You remember, remember a funny situation or a quirk about them, right? When we hear somebody's name, it brings back those, those stories. That's who God is, right? That's what God should do. When you say the Lord, it should do what? It should bring back memories of God. What I know about him, his character traits, but also stories where I've seen him in my life. So this is what he's saying. He said, this is the Lord, right? Notice here he says, he, look at that, verse 3, call to me and I will answer you. Wow. God is saying to Jeremiah, his prophet, Jeremiah, call to me. And guess what? I'm going to answer you. Please. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, there's so much of just, we just take this so for granted. So for granted that we can call on the Lord. I am so entitled. You are so entitled. I promise you, it's not just the 20-year-olds who are entitled. We all take this for granted. If we didn't, we'd be spending a lot more time calling upon the name of the Lord. He says he's going to answer you, and he will tell you great and hidden. He's going to tell Jeremiah great and hidden things that he has not known. Man, whoa, Jeremiah, he's entered in. He's, he's entered into a conversation, and, and this is his job, so he's done this many times before, but notice God's, God's reinforcing this. Who is, who is Jeremiah talking to? He's talking to the creator God. Do you realize that that's who you're talking to when you spend time in prayer? When we did worship today, is it, is it just, oh, these are nice songs, or is it going, okay, this is the creator God. And, and I'm not telling you out of this, like, I, I, I do the same too. Thinking about my coffee in the morning. I'm thinking about what happens in the afternoon instead of just going, I am here to enter into the presence of the creator God. 
and to give him honor and glory and prayer and my attention and devotion. Do, do, you, do you realize that or has it, have you grown cold-hearted or worse, lukewarm? The Creator God Speaks. Part two, this is the hard one. There it is. Darkness, despair, and destruction will come. This is the one that's like, oh, how are we going to get through this part? Um, darkness, destruction, and despair will come. Did you guys notice that in verse 4? God, God is going to, he's got hope for Jeremiah, but notice he's going to hold it in tension with the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is in verse four. Remember, look here, the, the, for the Lord, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. So that, what, what does that say? That says that right now in the city, what they've been doing currently is they are taking every resource they have available in order to, to bolster the defenses against the, the Chaldeans or against the Babylonians, right? So they are ransacking all of the, the, the kings, everybody, anybody who has anything left, which is the royalty, they are taking all of their stuff and using it in order as defenses against the coming onslaught of the Babylonians. And God says, yep, you know that, you know that? You know, that's, I know that's what you're doing. He says, they're coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down. What does this mean? Dead bodies are around and they're, they're only in Jeremiah's mind and, and in God's mind, only more are coming. This is death and destruction. This is brutal warfare. And, 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 I, and I want, like, I think sometimes we can kind of, kind of transition and just kind of go, yeah, when you have darkness and hard spots, and we will get there, right? That, that, that we will get there. But let's sit for a moment where Jeremiah is. He is in a prison in a besieged city. These aren't figurative dead bodies around him. These are literal dead bodies around him. This is dark. And now I, I say that to say too, I know in a room, and I know some stories, some of you have been through war. And it is dark. And I can't even begin to pretend to know what it's like. One of the things I love about the Bible is that God's prophet is right here. He's not like me saying, oh, can you imagine? He is in the thick of the thick of the thick. And he is making this prophecy. He, even though he is in the middle of a prison, in the middle of a falling city, surrounded by nothing but despair and hopelessness, he is still convinced of God's goodness. Notice here, and I feel such tension. I don't know if you feel this tension. The dead bodies of men whom I will strike down in my anger and my wrath. Who's going to strike them down? The Babylonians. But who's taking credit here? God. And I feel incredible amounts of tension. Maybe you do too. But let's read on. I'm going to strike them down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of their evil. So notice, notice here, for the first part, God is saying, call to me, call to me. 
But now here he says, I have hidden my face from them. This is the idea of, of almost, you know, turning your way. I am not, he is not, he is not going to listen to these people. And why not? Is he not listening to the people? Because he's speaking to his prophet, Jeremiah, who he's talking to, right? And so God is able to simultaneously have a conversation with his prophet who is in Jerusalem, who is in suffering, who is experiencing all this stuff, and still turning his face away from the people of Israel in Jerusalem, Okay. What tension I feel with that. Nevertheless, he is the one causing all this death and destruction. And why is it? Because the people of their, all of their what? Evil. Guys, this is, it's, it's like kind of some of other God's character qualities, you know? I want God to be good, but his goodness, it's like his holiness, it's dangerous to us because of why. If God is totally good, that means he can have nothing to do with evil okay he can't have anything to do with it see the problem is God is good and the problem is we are evil we are the people that bring the evil to the equation he does not and let me go let me let me let me point this out to you too God is punishing the city of Jerusalem the people of Judah, because of their evil, all their evil. And here is Jeremiah the prophet, and what has he done? He has done nothing but shared God's word. He has done nothing but acted righteously, and yet he is caught up in the evil of the people, and he is collateral damage in their evil. And, and I just want to give this as an encouragement because some of us are collateral damage in people's evil. Once again, I love the Bible. It's not Disney. <laughs> Jeremiah, Jeremiah, he can relate. He can relate to the shrapnel that's getting hit by him that he has. There's no reason for him to be treated this way from Scripture that we know. He's been a faithful servant of God. And yet he finds himself in prison, in the besieged city. And God, you know what God keeps, in fact, throughout the book, God just keeps going what? Get back in there. Get back in there. Here's the next message. It's their evil. God's goodness can have nothing to do with evil. So I want to ask you this question. And, and, and this, is, this, is the, this is the part where hopelessness can take over for Jeremiah. There, there is literally death and destruction. There is a war going on around him. And, and this, this could easily tip him over into hopelessness. How could God ever do something good when it's as dark as it is for Jeremiah's perspective? There seem, for Jeremiah, I mean, it's just, there's no way forward. He, he's in prison. <laughs> There's no way forward. In fact, the only way forward is definitely not giving more prophecies about how the, the, the city's going to fall. And that's what he's just going to keep doing. How could this ever turn out for good? Let me ask you this question in your, your life. What do we do when we find ourselves in darkness, despair, and destruction? Now, this is important. What do you do when it's a result of your evil? 
And then what do you do when it's a result of someone else's evil? And you know what? I, I think there's one sense of like people out there, but I, I want to tell you right now, I bring evil to our relationship and I bring it, I walked it right into this church right here. I'm sure you guys are all good people. <laughs> but I promise you, I brought more than enough evil for all of us. And then when I start to think about, oh no, you guys all brought evil too. <laughs> and there's a certain humbling reality of that, right? What do we do when we, when we find that there's evil that we've done? We take the next step of faith. We ask for forgiveness. We repent and we turn from our evil. What happens when someone's done evil to us? What do we do? We forgive. And like Eric constantly reminds us, and like Freedom Group reminds us, sometimes we got to re-forgive and re-forgive and re-forgive. Let me tell you this, friends. Listen very carefully. I do not know how God is going to turn the evil in your life into good. Because if I knew that, I would know for myself. Some of you guys are like me, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a miracle to transform the evil in your life into good. Guess what? Our God does miracles. I, I and you are not the miracle makers. He is. So what do we do? We, we take the next step of faith. And we trust that the God, the good God who does miracles, will do a miracle. And it may not be in our lifetime. Let's go on. The, the, the third part, we're going to kind of summarize. I just want to point out all the cool things that God does. God is good and he will keep his promises. You guys notice here, let's, let's look at the promises that God makes. He promises health and healing in verse 6, prosperity and security in verse 6, restoration in verse 7, rebuilding in verse 7, cleansing in verse 8, forgiveness in verse 8, acclaim in the world in verse 9, singing in happy voices in, in verse 11, thank offerings as we saw from our, our kind of theme verse for this theme. Um, cities will be restored. Shepherds will get to do their jobs again and just kind of roam the fields because there's no uh, opposing army out there to destroy them, right? There'll be a fulfillment of the covenant, the promises that God made to, to David and to Aaron and that covenant being a, a new branch, right? A new branch coming up from the line of David. And that is, that is totally Jesus. That is he, is, he is the new branch that we look at, that we go, he is the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? He is the one who is gonna sit on David's throne forever and ever, this is what God's going to do. And you guys see our, our, our verse right there in, in, um, in verse 11. Give thanks to the Lord of hosts for the Lord is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Remember, so Jeremiah's prophecy is this. I know everything looks lost. I know everything looks dire. And guess what? It is. It will be lost. Like, remember, he's not saying it'll, it'll all go up. He's saying death and destruction is coming. You guys are right. It is lost. But guess what? There is hope for a future. Death and destruction. 
Guys, this is the message of Jesus. Our Savior died. Hope was lost until it wasn't. Until he came back from the dead. This is exactly where Jeremiah is, but his promise and his prophecy is one day people are going to be standing on this property where he's standing in Jerusalem, and they're going to sit down, and they're going to look back at all the things and look back at history, and you know what they're going to conclude? Their conclusion is going to be that the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. One musician put it, the end will justify the pain it took to get us here. The end will justify the pain it took to get us here. That's where Jeremiah is. That's where he's sitting. And notice too, guys, we've been talking about being convinced of God's goodness. Look at Jeremiah. If there is a man who should, should be doubting God's goodness, it's Jeremiah. And yet he is, he is prophesying here, God is good. Yes, destruction is coming. Yes, no, notice that. It's not like this, like God is good. He'll turn it all around. That's not what he's saying, right? I'm not saying that. Your life isn't going to get necessarily better. My life isn't necessarily going to get better. But when we get to the end, when we look back, you know what we will determine? God is good. And we get little stints of that. How many of you guys in your lives, you look back and you've looked at the hard things in your lives and you look back and, and if I were to say, hey, I'll take that from you, you would say, no way. No way, because God was good and he pushed me through that and I, and I grew in intimacy with him in ways that I never would have if I hadn't have gone through that fire. That's what's gonna happen. And this is like, this is like a testimony from Jeremiah encouraging us to remember that God is good. Lastly, God's guarantee. How do you know he's going to do this? Well, guess what? Every day and every night, it's a reminder that God is good. If you can break, you see that? Did you guys see his example in 19 through 26? If you can break God's agreement he has with the celestial powers out there, with the sun, the moon, and the stars, if you can break it, if you can stop the earth from spinning, and if you can stop it from going around the sun, then you know, okay, God's not good. Ha! <laughs> Do you see how it ties back into verse 1, verse 2? Do you, see, do you see, remember how God started the whole part? That he is the creator speaking? Now at the end, guess, guess what is affirming his message? Guess what's the proof of purchase for this prophecy? The sun and the moon the day and the night. You see that? that? That means it's solid, right? How many of you set an alarm for the sun to come up in the morning? I don't. How many of us, the night's coming, you know? We can do daylight savings all we want, but it doesn't change. We can have all sorts of things, but the, the, the sun, the day and the night comes whether we want to or not. Uh, you know, the encouraging thing, I remember being a new, new father and the sun, the sun in the morning was like a godsend. Does anybody, anybody remember that? When you're like, you know, man, it's dark and it's four or five. You're like, I have not slept. I don't know how I'm going to survive. And then the sun comes up and it's like, oh, God is good. We made it another night, right? 
Sorry for you parents who are expecting. <laughs> so here's the cool thing. Guys, listen, listen. This is super, super encouraging for me. Hopefully it is for some of you. When you see the day and the night, they are, they're reflecting God's goodness. It's not the other way around. This isn't like an illustration where God's like, oh, that's a good illustration of like how my type of goodness. No, 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 no. The sun and the moon are reflecting what God is. His ability to be faithful and you, you to count on him to fulfill his promises is just like you count on the, the day and the night to come, right? I mean, I, I know COVID stopped our whole world in some ways, but guess what it didn't stop? The day and the night still happened. According to my calculations, we didn't miss a single day or night, even when everything shut down. That's God's goodness. So friends, as, as you go through this evening, when evening comes, and I can tell you it's going to come pretty confidently. I'll make that prophecy. <laughs> when evening comes tonight, remember God is good. And when morning comes tomorrow, remember God is good. Now you may not, you may not be experienced. You may, you may find yourself like Jeremiah in a proverbial prison, in a proverbial siege city. But this man was convinced of God's goodness. Let us, let every day be a reminder. Let every night remind us what we've been talking about. Give thanks to the Lord for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Pray with me. Father, thank You for Your goodness. Thank You for Your steadfast love. Thank You for the sun and the moon and the stars. Thank you for their reminder to us of your goodness. Lord, I confess that I too often doubt your goodness. Please forgive me. Forgive us for the times that we doubt whether you are truly good. Lord, I confess that my circumstances too often cause me to doubt you. Forgive me. Forgive us. Thank you for Jeremiah. Thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. You love us and you care for us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Your ultimate representation of your goodness. The one who is willing to suffer for our sake that we may experience hope. Our hope is not in us, but our hope is in Jesus. Help those of us who are struggling right now with your goodness. I pray that you would bring along brothers and sisters to encourage us. To encourage us and remind us of your goodness, Lord. May your church, may your body proclaim the goodness of you, King Jesus, and proclaim the goodness uh, that will come. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.